to spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. Well, most Saturday nights. I should probably stop saying each and every because it's been a busy season already. Uh, last week we had no program. Uh, I was out at the Mass Paracon. Stephanie's been out. Moniz has been out. We've just had a very busy time so far and it only gets busier. So, uh, but we are here tonight to talk with you about the paranormal, and there's a lot to talk about tonight in the world of the paranormal, uh, because it's 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 been a week. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen the story at WBSM.com, uh, the story broke, actually, I, I broke it myself, because I'm up all hours of the night. Oh, I should probably turn your mic on, huh? It's four, right? Yeah, four. There. You broke it? Do you know how to fix it? No, uh, but it was just after midnight on... Thursday that the story came out that the Conjuring House is on the market. And I keep saying back on the market, but I don't think it was ever officially on the market previously. I think Corey and Jen had reached out to, well, they had heard from uh, Norma Sutcliffe that she was interested in possibly selling when she owned it. And so they purchased it in June of 2019, Corey and Jen Heinzen, and now they've put it back on the market. And I've got the complete story at WBSM.com. It also has uh, some video that they put up on Facebook Live the day that the story came out. So you can get even more explanation from them as to what is going on. But the, the bottom line is, you know, they purchased this house for 440000 It was just under, it was like 439 But they purchased it in June of 2019. Now it's on the market for $1.2 million dollars. And some of that is the, you know, they have put some work into it. Uh, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage Norma in any way, especially because she might be listening, but, and I know how she gets, but you know, the house needed some repairs. It needed some updates. I, I had heard from people that it wasn't necessarily structurally sound, that it needed some reinforcing. You know, it's, it's an old farmhouse. It's over 200 years old. So it needs, you know, it yeah, needs work. Some slack. Yeah, I get it. But from my understanding, it needed a lot of, you know, just kind of reinforcement of the, you know, the frame of the house itself. And I don't know if they've done all of that or even if what I'd heard was true, but I know that they've done little bits and pieces here and there. But really what laid out that price was that they said that came from the realtor based on the fact that they have bookings for people to investigate that house and to take tours of that house going through 2022. Well, not completely through. I think I checked and there's some November and December of 2022 openings. That might only be just because they might not be, you know, doing investigations during the, the winter months, during the colder months. But it is certainly booked up, you know, pretty much every weekend beyond that uh, until then. So they charge $125 a person to investigate. They have a minimum of six people. To investigate, mm. so uh, just doing quick math in my head, uh, which I'm terrible at. It's about a thousand bucks a night, basically. So, if you're looking at that on a Friday and a Saturday, there's two thousand bucks a week. You're looking at eight to ten thousand dollars a month, depending on how many weekends there are in that month. And so you're looking at, you know, one hundred and twenty thousand dollars right there, just in, and the expense. You know, what are, what are the expenses? A little bit of electricity taxes. And and, and homeowners insurance, sure. and yeah. I don't know if they have different insurance because of what they're doing there. Well, if they're doing things right, I would assume that the 
individual groups have uh, their or their own daily policy, you know, well, so like what we do. Or they probably just at least have them sign waivers yeah, so some. that nothing happens to them. Actually, I know that they have them sign waivers because there's a, there's one room where everybody goes in to sign the waivers where they also can sign the wall. So, but there's there's certainly potential there for somebody to make money provided that everything is being done above board and that there isn't any, you know, you, if you're coming in there and I don't know if, if, and this isn't to suggest anything that you know, might be going on underhanded in any way, but I don't know that people were as critical of Corey and Jen coming in what they were doing because they came in and purchased it from Norma where it wasn't being operated like that already. So they might be, you know, getting away with kind of just being like a like an Airbnb style type thing where people are just coming to your house and renting out your house for the night. And, you know, you're letting them investigate if that's what they choose to do. They could also rent out your house for the night and choose not to. They could just sit on the couch and watch TV if they wanted to pay money for yeah. that. Yeah. So I just wonder, you know, where it's going to go from there for the next person, because if you or I. All right. Let's just say Zach Bagans comes in with a $1.2 million check. Now, they've already said in their Facebook Live they're not going to sell it to him. And we're going to get into some of that. But let's just say, you know, somebody like that, somebody of that ilk, somebody who could write a check for $1.2 million or even show up with the cash. You know, then that person doesn't need to worry about what's going on and, and doesn't need to worry about proving anything to any banks or any lenders or anything if you or I try to go and buy that house because we think, you know, we're paranormal people. We've been doing this for a long time. We've built up a following. We've put on all kinds of events. We have a, a media arm of what we do. We think we can go there and we can run this in a way where it'll be profitable. But we need to get a loan because we don't have 1.2 million between us. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're about a million point one five nine seven three short. And uh, by the way, all the rest of that's coming from you. I'm just assuming you've got some savings. I have some, but none n nearly or, or, I mean, enough we could, to come up. We could sell. We could sell maybe you know some of your organs. Uh, they're already well preserved. There, so. there might be a couple <laughs> that are still worth something. But anyway, like if we tried to get you know the the financing for that, well then we have to go and present the business plan to the bank, and they're going to ask all kinds of questions that you know maybe the right answers aren't there for. Mm. So it's 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 a very limited clientele for who's going to be able to buy that house. Uh, ideally, I think it would probably be, you know, somebody who wants to preserve it, somebody who wants to keep its, you know, its historical significance. But here's well, the thing. It was historical before the... Yeah, uh, it is, but it's not the kind of historical property that people are going to feel compelled to save outside of the conjuring story. Oh. So, it, you know, it, it, unfortunately, and I, you know, I, I hate even having to say this because I'm such a believer in, you know, preserving as much history as we can, but it's one of those places where somebody is eventually going to own that land and think nothing of just raising that house completely and building a new modern home on that, on that land. And that's just, it's just the way that it goes. Uh, so it's not like it's a significantly historical enough place where outside of that story, people would, would fight to save it. Right. You know, look at what happened in our own town with the Toby Homestead. Yeah, that I'm still angry about. But, we, you know, people were arguing like we need to save it. And and the, the, the people who were on the other side of that argument were basically saying, why? 
Like, what is the historical significance of it? And except for the fact that it is, you know, a couple hundred years old now at this point. But other than that, why save it? Like, what is it, what does it really mean? Because there aren't that many. Uh, and that was that was it. And that's not enough for some people. You know, well, progress is progress. I mean, look right down that same street where we do our Halloween events. Why could it not have been moved to a well, different location? Well, so we, we got into a lot of that. And it, as it turns out, it would have cost, uh, I believe it was fifty or $60,000 just to have the house moved from where it was outside the hospital down the street a mile to put it on the, the historical society's land. The problem was... The all of the street lights or, or no no none of that that all could have been worked out. The problem is that the frame of the house itself was no longer structurally sound, so the act of trying to move it would have destroyed, destroyed it. it. Yeah. So that was what the South Coast Health was was telling us was the case because you know I'm reaching out to South Coast Health about this to say. You're building a multi-million dollar new emergency room, which, by the way, when you come to the set of lights at Narrows Crossing now, you're pretty much already in the emergency room. That's how yeah, big yeah. this thing is. Uh, but you're building this multi-million dollar thing. Another $50,000 to move this historical house is a drop in the bucket. And think of the goodwill. Well, I but that was the comeback was it's just not it's not feasible to even move it at that point. Well, the thing that gets me is the agreement that the Toby family made for the lamp of the hospital is to make sure that the house stays. Yeah, I mean, it just, it's, it's, eventually the house is no good anymore. And I think that's just the point that it was at. As much as I hate that that was the fact, you know, like, look at it like this. Now, the buildings that we build these days, they aren't, they aren't worth anything. So there's never going to be, I'm just going to use Wareham High School as an example. Uh, when I started going to Wareham High School in 1992, it was only a couple of years old. It had just been built a couple of years prior. I think it opened in 90 or 91. Yeah. And then I became a sports writer covering Wareham sports as part of my beat as a sports writer. And in 20, maybe 15, I'd have to go back into my notes and look. But around 2015 or so, they had rainouts for indoor volleyball games. Huh. The roof of the gym leaked so bad that they would have to call off games because the floor was too leaky. I mean, the roof was too leaky and they had to have buckets all over the floor to catch all the water. So they actually canceled indoor games due to rain. And so they had to have a whole new roof put on the school. It wasn't just the gym either. It was across the school. And the same thing happened at the Standard Times building. Both of those buildings were built, yet, I think, in the same year. Yet the old high school where I went to never had that problem. Uh, well, it had some other problems well, that they, they've other, updated. Yeah. But still, like that was a 25-year-old building. And same thing with the Standard Times building. A 25-year-old building. My desk, I would have, there was a drip in my desk. And there had to be a bucket. To, to catch the, the water uh, so because the roof leaked. And that just goes to show, like, that's what the construction is of today. Not everything. I understand that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that do great work that will last forever, but it's the difference in materials, the difference in mm. construction style, all of that. So the houses that we're building now 
eventually somebody's going to have no problem just leveling that and building a new house on top of it. But the and that's what's going to happen with some of these historic properties. You know, you're never going to if if a McDonald's goes out of business, the McDonald's doesn't get preserved for all the memories that are there. They just destroy the McDonald's and put it in the Sonic. You know, so it's like that's the way that the mentality is now. And I think that that's kind of how it is with a lot of historical places. So unless somebody buys that house that, that cares about keeping the history going, you know, somebody might eventually someday buy that place just for the land. Obviously that won't be the next buyers. So Corey and Jen have said that they are going to be very picky about who they sell to. Uh, I don't know that much about selling a house. Uh, I don't know if you can be that picky. Like if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I've got the 1.2 million, like, do you get to say, no, I don't think I want to sell it to you. But what are the legalities of that? Because you offered it up for sale. This person came for a sale. What kind of bias are you going to show against that person? And can they take you to court over that? You know, I, I don't know all these ins and outs, but that's what they said is they said that they're going to try to be, you know, selective about who buys it and then if the right person doesn't come along I, I they're think going you to can hold on impose to certain conditions about their the, the the purchase in the purchase and sales but i i, 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 I yeah that's listen, a, once you, that's a gray area isn't it once you sell it it's you know you have no say in it anymore ask norma about that you know she showed up on their front lawn when they were doing you know, investigations. So and when they had TV shows coming to film, so, you know, it's going to be kind of the same way where you just gotta, you gotta know who you're selling to and what their plans are and be cool with it. Uh, so, but anyway, like they have left the possibility open that they might pull it off the market. And the reason that they gave is because of Corey's health issues being the reason why they wanted to sell that it's getting to the point where they can't put the full effort into restoring and running the house as much as they want to. And that being, you know, as he was saying in his Facebook live video, he still suffers from PTSD from his time in the service and that that has manifested in a negative way when it comes to being at the house. So when he's there and there are people that are trying to sneak onto the property and he goes out there to confront them, it's turning into a much more negative situation than it should be. And you know, giving him a lot of anger issues and things like that. Yeah. And he doesn't like the way that that's affecting the rest of his life. So, you know, totally understandable. If it's going to hurt your mental health to hold on to the property, by all means, you know, yeah, uh, you, we, nobody wants to see you go through that just because we want to go there and investigate. But that's going to be part of the discussion that we get into tonight is, you know, at what point is it your house? And at what point have you turned it over to the paranormal world? Yes, you own it, and yes, you, you know, have been the one to put the money up for it, but if you decide, like, let's just say they lived in it full-time, and it was their home, and they were letting people come through their home to investigate, and let's just say they decided, hey, you know, this old rustic farmhouse look doesn't work for us. We're going to put in a bunch of new drywall, and we're going to paint it, and we're going to have, you know... Uh, all the, you know, the latest color trends and whatever is popular now. And we're going to redo the whole inside of the house to look like that. And then the people that come there and investigate are going to be disappointed because they think they're coming into this rustic farmhouse that looks like it did when the parents lived there. And, you know, they feel like that that's part of the 
authenticity of that experience. So in a way, do you really own the house? Because you're at the mercy of what other people think. No, I got you. And then I'll also throw out something else that happened this week. Uh, the Lizzie Borden house remodeled the downstairs bathroom, the first floor bathroom, which a little bit of background info uh, for Massachusetts. When you have a, a bed and breakfast, you have to have somebody from the bed and breakfast on the property. So you can't, it has to be what they call owner occupied, although it doesn't have to be an owner. It can be a, a designated employee of the yep. owner, but there has to be somebody from the property there when people are staying. So Leanne couldn't just let people stay overnight and then go to her house in Rhode Island and, you know, be like, all right, call me if there's any problems. Like somebody had to be there. And most of the time it was her, especially toward the end of, of her time there. And uh, other times, you know, it would be whoever was the person on duty that night. And whoever that person was that was in charge, they needed a restroom facility that they could use and a place where they could shower and, you know, get ready to prepare breakfast the next day and all of that. So the first floor bathroom was always staff only. Now, you and I had the opportunity to use that bathroom because when we went there, you know, we, we were, were running events. Much staff, yeah. Right. So <laughs> we would we would use that restroom on, on a regular basis. And it, it did need to be renovated. It was in pretty rough shape. But because it was the employee bathroom, you know, it was like the last thing that anybody ever thought of putting money into. Uh, so now the Lizzie Borden house has put bedrooms in the basement, which... I still can't get over that. Yeah, we're going to... We'll get into that. But because they put bedrooms in the basement, they have to have a bathroom nearby for those folks to use. Otherwise, they're traipsing all the way up to the... Well, they, they can't really use the second floor on that side of the house because that's the private bathroom for the Andrew and Abby suite. Correct. Or they have to go all the way up to the third floor or they have to go across the house to the other side and then they have to go up a flight of stairs to, to that bathroom. And either way, you know, you're going to be disturbing people that are sleeping if, if the house is fully rented out. So it makes total sense that you would want to redo that downstairs bathroom to be able to serve the people that are staying in the basement. Now, I've, <laughs> I posted something about this on Facebook that caused some controversy, and there was some controversial comments being made on the actual Lizzie Borden house page about this. I just want to, from my own perspective, say I never said that anybody, you know, they shouldn't have redone the bathrooms. And I don't think anybody else that commented about it said that either. I, they put a before photo up. It was a little bit rougher looking than I remember it being, but still, they put a before photo up. And anybody that looks at that, common sense dictates, yeah, that has to be redone, updated. Yeah. You know, it needs to be um, just not only for people that are staying there, but just for anybody using it. You want to have it be a little bit better quality than it was. So nobody was arguing with the fact that it needed to be redone. But the decor that they chose was definitely, in my opinion, out of place with the style of the house. The house has been carefully curated, and that's the word I'm going to use, curated, like a museum, to look like it did on the day the Bordens were killed in 1892. It didn't always look like that. 
as with any other home, the people who lived in there for the 100 plus years after the murders happened did what they wanted with the house and made it look the way that they wanted to. When Martha opened it up as a bed and breakfast, some of that began. And then, of course, Leanne really took 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 it over. And, yeah, and she brought it to its full. She was going out and buying pieces that looked like the original pieces in the photos and finding stuff that was period specific and having, you know, she would buy stuff that wasn't in the best shape but was of the time period and then was paying a lot of money to have somebody come in and reupholster it. Uh, you know, the couch that was in the, the, the room where Mr. Borden was killed, she found one that looked like it, but it needed a lot of work and somebody put a lot of work into it. You know, all of this stuff was done to make it be like a living museum. So that when you walked into that house, you felt like you were walking into 1892. So if you're coming and staying, isn't part of the reason you're staying because you want to feel like you're walking into the house on the day the Bordens were killed. And wouldn't walking into a bathroom that is very modern, decked out in, I don't know if it's real marble, probably not. It's, I mean, I, I haven't been there to see it. It might just be like one of those... Um, Veneer things. Yeah, you know, like I just had my bathroom redone last year and, you know, they came in and they put in this whole new, like, it looks like tile and it. I guess it is tile kind of but it's all like one big wall that they like yeah. cut out and put up over there and but i still have to clean it like as if it was tile you know gotta get in there between between all the squares so it could i'm sure it's probably just that i can't imagine i don't care how much you love the house it's not worth putting real real marble into the bathroom um so the the the, the argument that ensued because the owner went on the Facebook page and made a bunch of comments to anybody that was responding negatively. Some, a good portion of them has since been deleted, especially where he was calling people Karens and haters and all of that because, you know, that's just bad business. But he was commenting. People that work at the house were commenting, basically saying that people were being ridiculous if they thought that the bathrooms needed to be historical because there were no bathrooms in the house in 1892. And they're right. But they're also ignoring the point of the people that were, that had an issue with it. That being, you could have redone the bathroom in a way where it still looked like it would belong in the time period. It didn't even have to be reasonable. It didn't even have to be of the time period. You might say, well, you know how hard it is to find photographs of an 1892 bathroom and make it look the same? Absolutely. Fair point. But you also could have made it look something that isn't so jarring as that when you walk into the bathroom, it looks completely out of place. Now, uh, the toilet on the second floor bathroom near the John Morse room had to be replaced years ago. And they got one of those, you know, lift yeah. flush toilets because it was more of the time period. Like, that's how they would have had the bathroom back then. I think it actually would have been like a pull chain. But they did that so that it would be a little bit more of the era. It didn't stand out as being that significantly different. Yeah, I agree. But, yeah, now it just, you know, that bathroom looks very jarring. Jarringly different. And I... I I think it could have been done in a different way. Then, you know, the, that kind of brought up the, the aspect of the bedspreads because they went through and they changed all the bedding of the house, which, sure, you can say that it needed all new mattresses. You can say that the bedding all needed to be replaced. I can see that. 
But you also could have gotten betting that looked more of the time period, which is what was always done there before to keep it looking authentic. Instead, they got something that looks, in my opinion, and the opinion of very you know many other people, a little bit too modern to fit the rest of the house. Somebody pointed that out, and the response was, well, we'll be happy to put the old linens on the bed when you come and stay. Like, no, you're missing the point. The point being, you know, if I went and bought a, a 1957 Chevy, I'm not going to go down to Best Buy and get the latest Sony uh, CD player, you know, internet radio, Wi-Fi built-in, touchscreen navigation, all that stuff, and put that into a 1957 Chevy. Because it doesn't belong. If the radio that's in that 57 Chevy doesn't work, I'm going to try to find an original 57 Chevy radio. If I don't find a 57 Chevy radio, I'm at least going to find something that's of that era that fits and doesn't look out of place within the car. Well, actually, they do make uh, modern stereos, digital stereos with, you know, Bluetooth and everything. But they have, it, they have the basically a faux front that looks like the oh, old okay, original. Okay, cool. But if you want one of those, why'd you buy a 57 Chevy? No, but I'm saying it, it looks like a 57 Chevy but type of... I don't want that. I want a 57 Chevy radio in my 57 Chevy. That's my point. I know, I, I, I see what you're saying, that you can have the look and the convenience, but I'm saying, what'd you buy a 57 Chevy for if you're worried about modern convenience? Right. You know? No, I get you. So you're saying they, they made... The house a modern resto mod is what they call new. It's where the, you're not restoring, but it's a modern adaptions into the restoration. I think it's you know if this is the, the the mindset of it, and they you know this was kind of being fought back against in some of the comments, but prove us wrong at this point, where the few changes that you have now made you have not worried about being historically accurate with. So that's just going to make everybody else think that when you make future changes, it's going to be the same thing. You know, one yeah. of the points that was brought up in the comments was, well, air conditioning is an original to the house, but it has that now. Okay, but at no point does the air conditioning get in the way of your 1892 experience. You know, you don't walk through that house being like, oh, geez, uh, they shouldn't have had this air conditioning going through. Or, you know, there's Wi-Fi in the house. Nobody walks in there and says, ah, a Wi-Fi router. They wouldn't have that in 1892 because you don't see it. Because they tried to keep it as much as they could, you know, out of the way because they don't want to make it take you out of the moment. So all I'm seeing here is... You bought a historic place that you don't really keep about, care about keeping historic, which is fine. It's your place. You can do what you want with it. You paid for it. You paid almost $2 million for it. Do what you will. But don't be surprised when people have an issue with what it is that you're doing. And don't go in there and fight everybody in the comments either. I think it's really funny that a guy that I emailed and messaged and, and sent all kinds of, in, you know, attempts to contact to come on this show and talk about the purchase, you know, can't respond to any of those messages, but can come on to my Facebook and, and drop comments in there. Uh, okay. Welcome to junior high. 
pretty much. So let's get into, and I'm not, I'm not really helping the situation by complaining about it either. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to be fully yet. upfront about that. <laughs> but also, let's look at something else too. We talked about the fact that there are now bedrooms in the basement, and I use the term bedroom very loosely. Um, having spent many years down there, especially in all of the events, because that's where I wound up, of course, being stationed. So where you belong, exactly. I but. Uh, <laughs> I actually I found it to be one of the better spots because well, there was a lot of great activity well, that happened in there. You had some of the most profound experiences yeah. in the basement, so yeah. it made sense for you to be down there. Yeah, so I have no problem with it. But I'm just saying, I spent enough time in that basement to know that's not really a good place to make bedrooms it's, for, for several different reasons. Again, I haven't been there. But I can tell from well, the you photos. Me the, yeah, the photos show me that. Which are on the website. Yeah. Number one, if he hasn't done something about all of the access to the things in the ceiling and those walls and the pipes. Well, you've got the, the you know, the hot water heater. Right. The, the furnace. You know, whatever well, it is, whatever that well, you also, equipment is they have, it's all down there. Well, I'm, I'm thinking more... Uh, you and I both know that anywhere near that electrical panel, the EMF coming out of... Well, it's been, it, that had been replaced. Okay. They did replace that a few years ago. Okay. So at least that's a little bit better. But still, like you're down there with the washer and the dryer, unless they right. move that to somewhere else. You're down there with the hot water heater, the furnace, you know, all that stuff is down there. Yeah, carbon uh, monoxide and other things. You know, well, that's that would be my concern is, is it properly ventilated enough yeah, for that, it to be a guest room? That's what I mean. I mean, there are health conditions you got to deal with in terms of uh, not say that they didn't do this, but I can't be sure because, uh, well, I know when I was down there, the various coating layers of paint that have been on the walls on the field stone and things like that I, I let let's call it what it is lead paint i don't i don't yeah, i don't recall like, seeing any paint so i can't speak to that I, but well i do um, <laughs> the the question that i have and again you know if somebody had agreed to come on and talk about it with us is did the city sign off on that has that been approved, or was it just let's put it up there, let's rent it out, let's get three hundred bucks a night as much as we can, and then you know, when they tell us to stop, we'll stop. But for now, let's just get it out there because it's it's literally a bed and a dresser with a throw rug on the floor and some like folding screens to give it privacy, and it's the most expensive room in the house, and people are booking it, people are staying there. So uh, I would like I have a lot of questions about you know the legality and the safety of people staying down there. There is an exit. So yeah. if there is an issue, there is, you know, yeah. there, not only is there the regular stairs up to the kitchen, but there is a, the bulk a bulkhead to, to, yeah. to be able to escape. But also that's only one side of the, the, the building too. Well, I'm not sh sure, but I think there's fire code regulations about sprinklers in the area too. I know so they are. they've, They've gotten by the sprinkler code because of the historic nature of the house. Well, there. So that was there always is sprinklers in the house. But that was that was part of the the problem that they had when they had to put all that stuff in was they didn't have to have it in every room. They had right. to have it where the people were staying because of the fact that it was historic. They were right. they were able to limit what they had to do. That's part of the reason why they That's never. What I'm saying I don't think there's any in the basement. I don't think there are either. I could be wrong. 
But that, and they could have put in some sort of fire yeah, suppression system. Something, yeah. But that was part of the problem with Maplecroft when they wanted to have that be, you know, a bed and breakfast too. They had to invest money into putting in the sprinklers. I had last heard that they were doing it. I don't know if they ever completed it, but that was part of it is they had to put in that sprinkler system. But because of the, I don't think Maplecroft, Maplecroft, it was on the historic register. I could be wrong. I know that the Boyden house is, yeah. the, the murder house is. Yes. So, you know, that's, they, they get some bit of leeway in terms of that, but they also have other codes that they have to follow when it comes to, to making renovations. But following it to a T or not, the question still remains, do you have a, do you have a requirement to keep it the way that people expect it to be? You know, the same thing with the Conjuring House. Because you let the paranormal world into it, do you have a responsibility to the paranormal world to give them what it is that they want? We, I mean, if you're trying to make that as the focus of how you get them in to make money, yes, because that's what the, your customer. I mean, you don't expect a pizza parlor to, you know, be preparing Chinese food for you. You know, when I, when you go into it to get. I think, Ooh, yeah. I think that there is, you know, some bit of, I guess what you would call a market correction, where if you do make these changes, eventually you're going to see, okay, well, I can't now get $300 a night to stay in this place anymore because people are, you know, not enjoying it the way that they used to before. So maybe I do just have to focus on the ghost hunt aspect, or maybe I do just have to focus on, you know, this or that. I can tell you this, if you continue to change and modernize things in the rest of the house, your regular daily tours are probably going to go out the window because what draws people into those is the fact that they're walking through the house that looks like it did on that day. And if you're going to, let's just say, you know, it's time to, you know, re-wallpaper the living room, uh, the parlor, and you just go out and get any old wallpaper that, you know, looks okay. Well, but that's not the same as having the wallpaper that looks like the wallpaper in the crime scene photo. Right. So, eventually there's going to be some blowback as a result of that, and it's probably going to be a financial one where people don't see the need to come there anymore. My opinion this is just what I've gathered from what I've seen and a little bit of from what I've heard. Anybody that cares about the history of that house, that's not what they're about anymore. They're about the ghost hunts. That's what it's for. It was bought by a ghost tour company. It's all about the ghost stuff. So whatever makes it more convenient for the people that are coming for that reason, that's what's going to happen. And I think that that's a, a problem because part of the reason the ghost hunters, paranormal investigators, legend trippers, part of the reason they all want to go there is because of the history. Hmm. They're not separate. And if you start treating them as separate, you're just screwing yourself. I agree. You know, yeah. you, you, you just as much want the people that are coming there because they're interested in the Borden case and they want to go through the footsteps of everybody involved in that day. And they want to have it feel as authentic as they can. Those are the people that are validating the historical nature of it so that the paranormal people want to come in. See, here's, here's what I think. 
and uh, and this is just my opinion, and I have nothing more than just what I've observed to base it on. But this is what happens when you have a ghost company, a paranormal company, being run by somebody that doesn't understand the paranormal. It, it, from everything that I've seen, and Lance, if you're listening, you're welcome to call in and, and, and debate me on this and tell me that I'm wrong. This seems to me like a guy that said, oh, ghost tours, that looks like a good investment. Yeah, that sounds cool. Let's do that. That's the new hip thing. Yeah. Yeah, we could make money on ghost tours, so let's do that. Let's open up ghost tours in all these different cities. I won't get into the things that I've heard, but we know. Let's open up ghost tours in all these different cities. And then, you know, that's that's what our business model is. And now we're going to go buy the, you know, one of the most haunted houses in America. But I don't know that you know what this field is all about. Because if you run ghost tours, and this is no offense to any of our paranormal friends that do run ghost tours, it's a completely different animal. Going on a ghost tour and going on an investigation are two different things. Yes. When you go to a ghost tour, you're going for the story. You may be also going to have an experience too, but the story is the, the, the meat of this, the experience. When you have a paranormal investigation location, sure, the story is important, but the story is just the backdrop for what's going to happen on that particular night. And it's a lot harder to serve the paranormal investigator side of it than it is the person that just wants to go hear a creepy story on a, on a ghost tour. I could run ghost tours, you know, forever and, yep. and, and never have a problem with it. Running ghost investigations like we do, as you know, oh, yeah. it's like there's a burnout factor with it. Oh, yes. You know, I could go walk around. I mean, maybe I can't walk around. I'm not the best physically shaped guy, but I could go walk around. It's a shape. I'm sure I'm sure if I went out and walked every night doing a ghost tour, I would get in better shape. But I could go out and walk every night and tell the same stories. Uh, not so much me because I would get bored, but, you know, people can do that. And not have a problem from it. And I'm not talking about the paranormal weighing on you. You know, I'm not talking about all these dumbasses that have been making these comments on Facebook about, oh, the conjuring house is getting to them now. That's why they're selling it. No, it's not the conjuring house is getting to them. It's all of the ancillary things of owning the conjuring house. It's not the paranormal that's hurting them. Just like the paranormal didn't kill Leanne Wilbur. And I still hear people making that stupid ass comment. Oh. But it's not the paranormal that's going to get to you. It's just the energy that has to be put into running paranormal investigations. So I, I just want to make it clear. That's, I'm not talking about prolonged exposure to the paranormal is going to hurt you. Prolonged having to run paranormal investigations can weigh on you. And not everybody. I mean, you know, the, look at Christy. Christy does a fantastic job with all the great people she has working at the Oliver Estate. They're the Energizer Bunnies. They could keep going. You can call them on any random night. And if they don't have something going, they're all about getting down there and doing it because they just have that boundless energy to do it. I don't. I tried doing back-to-back -back investigations, you know, back-to-back -back events one time, and, and I was like, I'll never do that again. You know, if I go and do a conference where we have a, a VIP party at night like we do at the Mass Paracon, and then I stay a little bit later and talk <laughs> to people and hang out and everything, and then I got to get up the next day, and then I got to go have a, you know, uh, I go and give a lecture and then talk to everybody and then go and do an investigation and all this. Like, by the end of all that, I'm wiped out. And, and I think that 
if you're not, and, and this is going to sound like I'm being one of those people making those kind of comments, but if you don't respect the paranormal side of it and you don't understand it, it will get you. And I don't mean the paranormal is going to get you. I just mean the the, grind. the lifestyle yeah, is going to get you. Yeah, the grind of it. So we'll take your thoughts and calls, 508-996-0500. We'll also be talking about this again in the next hour. I know a lot of you out there are listening that you've been, you know, thinking these kind of things. You've been making comments online all week. This is your chance to kind of jump on here and debate and discuss. Listen, as much as I want you to call up and agree with me, I also want you to call up if you don't agree with me. You know, tell me you're being an idiot, Tim. Who cares? You know, who cares if the Conjuring House, you know, goes to somebody that wants to completely remodel it? Or who's to say that they shouldn't just sell it to the first person who offers $1.2 million, regardless of whether or not they're going to let the paranormal community keep going there? And who cares about what they do at the Lizzie Borden House as long as they let people keep coming in and investigate? I, I, I will listen to the arguments about those. I won't agree with them, but I will listen to the arguments and I'll listen to you make your points. The other part of this, too, is... As I mentioned before, are you an owner of a location or are you a steward of a location? Do you do you really own it or does it belong to the paranormal community? Because I've often argued, and I still will, that just because somebody owns a haunted place, it doesn't mean that they have any kind of obligation to let you in. So if you call up, uh, let me try to think of an example. All right. So the Plymouth Antiquarian Society, they don't like the paranormal. They, they have turned down every request that we've ever made to get into any of their places. So if you're the Plymouth Antiquarian Society and I feel like you have ghosts and I've heard that you have ghosts at one of your properties. Yep. You're under no obligation to let me in. Maybe if I say, I'll throw you a couple of thousand dollars to let me investigate for a night, you might let me in. That's your choice. It's your place. You can do what you want. But certainly you're under no obligation just because you might have paranormal activity and I'm into looking for paranormal activity. You're under no obligation to let me in. I think it's a little bit of a different story when you have a place that is about the paranormal and has been investigated And that's the reason why you're in the position that you're in. So it would be disingenuous if let's just say, and and I think they understand this, this is why they put it on the market. It would be disingenuous for Corey and Jen to say, oh, you know, the the, the paranormal stuff happening here is just weighing too much on us. So we're going to still keep the house, but we're going to lock the doors and nobody's allowed to come in and investigate anymore. Like that would be something that I think people would rail against. Because you built this into being a place that people want to go. And you kind of made it a point when you bought it that that's what you were going to have it become. And that's why you were the people that bought it. Okay. Let me ask you this. So how do you feel about what Zach Baggins did with that, what they called the demon house? Right, where he made a documentary and then destroyed it? Yeah. I think that that was an asinine move. It's an asinine move from a business perspective, first of all, because how many people have all commented about, oh my God, I would have loved to have gotten into that place. You know, you right. could have you could have allowed it. 
that's why I'm asking the questions. Like, here you go, where somebody who is in the do paranormal. You, do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want to know my real gut feeling about that? Yeah, it was a sacrifice that was made to further the story. Okay, so it was. It's like here. I'm putting the the final cap on this, and nobody can say anymore because I've now you know this is. It's it's like me telling you I caught a 500 pound bluefin by showing you a photo of me eating a tuna steak. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like now you're never gonna know yeah, whether or not I, I had a 500 pound bluefin. You know, nobody else can say anything else because it's not but there anymore. Look at the size of this tuna steak. Do you think I would have a tuna steak this big if I didn't catch a 500-pound bluefin? So take a look at the documentary that I made about it. You don't think that, you know, if I didn't feel like all this was legitimate, I wouldn't have gone and destroyed the entire house over it to keep you safe. Mm. So, yeah, I have my suspicions as to, you know, what the rationale was behind that. Maybe it was, you know, purely um, um, uh, purely benevolent. And it was a matter of like I can't let anybody else in here. I can't let anybody else endear this, endure this. I should say, um, I don't know. I can't, I can't speak for for certain because I never went there and I don't know the history of it. I'm just telling you what my kind of gut feeling is. You know, it's it wasn't a very expensive buy, if I remember right. Well, for him especially. Well, yeah, but it wasn't that expensive and it wasn't that valuable. So, and it w certainly wasn't a place that they were going to be able to open up as a paranormal, you know playground so to speak yeah it was about the size of the studio so it was a, a sacrifice it was not much of a sacrifice to destroy it so if that's the case you know i can i can i can speculate that maybe it was a it was a sacrifice made because it, it helps further that story well, again, we're going to be taking a break here. 508-996-0500 if you'd like to call in after the news. Uh, we'll continue on discussing this. I'm also going to let you in on a little bit of something because I haven't told Moniz this yet uh, because uh, we we weren't we were talking before the show, but I, I didn't get to bring this up. So I'm going to bring it up on the air, and that would be what happened to me on my investigation of the U well the mass paracon investigation of the USS Salem last weekend. Oh. So uh, kind of a weird thing that I, it took me all week long to really make peace with it. Well, the Salem is definitely a haunted ship. No doubt. But this was something that has never happened to me anywhere. Oh. And okay. it's not something that I would necessarily normally believe in. So I want to talk to you about that oh. and I'll share it with the audience. And, uh, and, and I, I did have the opportunity last night to, uh, to interview on Midnight Society, Don DeCristofaro, who runs the Greater Boston Paranormal Associates, who are now the team that is in charge of the investigations on the ship. And I ran it by him, and he said, you know, it doesn't sound like it's that really uncommon of things that would happen there. So we'll get into all of that. Uh, just a little bit of a, a tease there for you. Uh, but I already I already feel weird even discussing it publicly because, like uh, as I said, I'm not sure I even believe that it happens. But I'm pretty sure it's what happened to me. So uh, we'll get into that. Also, when we come back on the other side, if uh, if you want to call in with anything paranormally related, maybe you've been waiting to share something with us or get our opinion on something, 508-996-0500 is the number to do so. You can also email us if you're not comfortable with calling in. You can send us an email, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. You can put it up on Twitter using the hashtag SpookyLive or you'll find us on Twitter at SpookySC. 
all those different ways you can get in touch with us. And you can email us or, or tweet us or find us on Facebook anytime during the week. It's not like you have to wait until Saturday, especially where, you know, some Saturdays we aren't here. You can always reach out to us anytime. We get that stuff all week long. And, uh, and we will get back to you as quickly as we can. And we'll do the same thing when we come back with more Spooky South Coast. Again, if you want to call in, 508-996-0500. If you want to email SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. If you want to put it up on Twitter, do it directly at SpookySC or just use the hashtag SpookyLive. We follow all of that during the show. Back with more Spooky South Coast in just a moment on WBSM. went up for sale. Lizzie Borden House remodeled their downstairs bathroom and uh, we have been discussing exactly what kind of responsibility you have to the history if you own one of these places but also what the paranormal community expects of it and is some of those ex- are some of those expectations uh, too much are they uh, are they looking for things that you know might be more than you would expect any business or property owner to have to fulfill and live up to. We're going to talk about all of that and more as we continue on here in the second hour. Just really quickly, for anybody listening in the UK, you'll be happy to know that Hotel Paranormal has finally come to the UK. That's right. Narrated by the one and only Dan Aykroyd and featuring me sometimes. Well, at least in the first season, I'm in all the episodes. And then in season two, I'm in all but one. But... Season one of Hotel Paranormal just dropped on Really in the UK. That's the name of the channel, Really. And it's a free channel uh, that uh, anybody that, you know, has, you know, these, uh, whatever the different services are, Sky TV and all that stuff, you'll be able to get it for free. I forget what night it airs. I think it's Thursday nights at 10. But it's uh, it's on... It's on FreeSat, it's on Sky, it's on Sky Ireland. Uh, you can check it all out. Just look up really, R-E-A-L-L-Y. It's uh, it's owned by Discovery Incorporated. So check that out and you'll be able to find Hotel Paranormal running on it. It just debuted this week, so you've only missed the first episode. They're probably rerunning it, but uh, check that out and let me know what you think. And then as for whether or not season two, when it's going to air here in the United States... I have uh, been in contact with the production company trying to find out if we can get some more information. I haven't heard anything back yet, but as soon as I do, we will let you know because pretty proud of that show. It's a lot of fun, and uh, it's pretty cool to, to hear Dan Aykroyd talking about all these haunted hotels. So my guess is 
If it's going to air in the U.S., it'll probably be announced later this month to start airing next month because why not tie it into the release of Ghostbusters Afterlife? Yeah, so. more maroon shirts. Actually, in season two, I went with a gray shirt. Oh. So, <laughs> but I, I did wear the gray shirt uh, that I wore for season two. I wore that to the Mass Paracon VIP party last week. I was joking around with everybody like, this is just my hotel season two preview for all of you. You know, I can't show you a clip or a trailer or anything, but I can show you the shirt that I wore. And that's about the best I can do. And maybe maybe I'll wear it to the Ocean State Paracon coming up in November. So speaking of which, uh, we do have joining us on the line from Rise Up Paranormal and the organizer of the Ocean State Paracon, Ken DaCosta is with us. Hello, Ken. How are you? Hello, gentlemen. First time, long time. Gentlemen, who walked in? <laughs> Well, that would be you guys. That's my typical greeting, but, you know. Well, it's great to talk with you again. It's It's been a while. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the call. Um, there's, I know a lot to unpack because you guys covered a lot of ground tonight, but as someone who's done this a long time, some of the topics that you're discussing are uh, things that I've thought about for a long time. As somebody who runs events out of an historically significant place and has done so in the past, um, I've gotten to learn a lot about the ins and outs of these things. So, um, I just had a couple of comments tonight that I'll give you and, you know, until you throw me off, uh, <laughs> fire away. Um, well, I mean, when we talk about historic locations, essentially we're talking about preservation. That's, that's the bottom line. And there usually is like three reasons that it's important first is probably civic responsibility you know you have a place in town that's historically significant to that particular town or state or region or maybe even the country um so it behooves you to keep it in a state of uh, repair because it's representative of where you live um the second another one is as a business model when you want to bring people back to a certain era and you want to maintain the ambiance of that era. And um, the last is, I guess, personal preference. Uh, I remember working on a house one time where the guy had all the nails forged by hand because that's the way they did it in the 1700s. Wow. Now, they were like a buck 25 a piece, and this was back in the 80s. And probably nobody would notice, but he did. You know, because he wanted to bring it back to its original state. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there are, those are the three basic reasons that you even care about preservation in terms of places that have a um, kind of haunted history to them. Um, there uh, was always an advantage of having an historical designation, and that would be grant money because you could get those kind of things for upkeep, but it's become so competitive now, and a lot of those dollars have dried up, that stewards or owners of these places have to think outside the box a little bit and kind of embrace their paranormal history as a, a means of income for the upkeep. And I guess we're the beneficiaries of that in the paranormal community, but that's why a lot of these folks that maybe 10, 20 years ago would turn their nose up at people like us that came in and say, hey, you know, we want to do this, um, now are probably 
a little more, give us a little more latitude because um, that income is needed. And the last thing that I will say as a practical standpoint, if you get an historical designation on a place, whether it's in the National Register or whatever the case may be, the thing that you bring is they will crawl up your butt with a microscope because they have a say now in everything that you do. But typically, it's on the outside of the building. If you're going to replace the windows or the door frames, they want it done a certain way, even if it's custom made to resemble the way this place was. On the inside of the building, not so much. You know, you can pretty much go crazy on the inside of whatever it is that you want to do. So there's a couple of points I wanted to make um, about the idea of these uh, historic locations. I will end that comment uh, by saying my understanding is before the woman or the couple who moved into Maplecroft before it was purchased by Don, um, Leanne, um, I was told that the people who lived there before them had like Ikea furniture in the house. Well, yeah, the, so the, the person that owned it prior to the person that bought it. So what, what happened was it was owned, owned by a man for a very long time and he refused to really appreciate the history of it. And he kind of let it all fall to hell. And then when Christy Bates bought it from him, she started trying to put in, you know, all the historic things that she could. So what they bought, what Donald and Leanne bought was basically the work that Christy did. Plus, then they started putting more in on their own. Yeah, I mean, and she did a phenomenal job in taking that place back to its past, um, whether it was antique stores or wherever she ordered this thing, it, it was tremendous. But in terms of like historical significance as it relates to the paranormal, um, it's an interesting dynamic with a lot of these places, which kind of actually leads me to my second point, and, um, and that would be the Conjuring House. Um, you talked early in the show about um, conditions for a sale, and I will tell you, you can write anything into a purchase and sales agreement. Whether it's accepted or not is another thing. Okay, um, right. And I agree with you that if you're setting these conditions and you're going to pay that amount of money, under the terms that, at least for the first year, every weekend you're going to have to welcome, essentially, strangers into your house, um, I guess the risk on that is people like bankers, lawyers, doctors, CEOs, people who have, have that kind of money lying around who might want to move their uh, wife, two kids, and a dog out to the country um, have to understand everything that comes with it. And um, I don't know if that really reduces the amount of people that might be interested in something like that if it's part of that. But I will say, and I think it's Newport, I think it's Newport, where a woman um, a while back sold a, uh, not one of the mansions, but a pretty significant home for over a couple of million dollars with a stipulation that one week a year, she would be able to come back and host a party or a family reunion or something like that. And uh, I guess there was no problem with that because the folks that lived there just said, hey, you know, we'll take off for a week, go on vacation, we'll sync it up, make it work. Um, they probably had something contractually that said, you know, any kind of damage, you're on the hook for it. So 
you can put anything in a purchase and sales agreement. It's whether or not both uh, parties are going to agree for well, that for that type of thing. And, and then, but my question would be, you know, just going back to what you said, would somebody be looking to move their family out to the country and be looking at that house? at 1.2 million, which is double what the evaluation is now. Now, obviously, you know, all real estate has kind of gone up in the past year or so. Uh, yeah. They paid 440,000. Now it's evaluated at about 538,000. So yeah, just by owning the house for a year, it's gone up $100,000 in value, but the asking price is double. So even if you come down a little bit in the negotiation of it, you still, I don't think you're getting somebody interested in buying that property unless they're looking at it as a place to keep open on the weekends for ghost hunters. Yeah, as exactly my point, Tim. I mean, you're talking, I mean, 1.2 million is a good starting point, I guess. But again, everything that comes with it, you're buying a place that you know that there are going to be intrusions on you. Uh, even if you're the type of guy you know, or, or woman who has that type of money, maybe you don't believe in this stuff, you just want the property, whatever the case may be, you get everything that comes with it. You go back to the Norma Sutcliffe days or even what Corey and Jen have to deal with occasionally with people roaming the property, trespassing. So you have that intrusive kind of thing that you're going to have to accept is going to happen. Um, but the idea of essentially giving up your home on weekends um, you know, I hope they find a buyer. If um, they are going to move on, I wish them nothing but the best. I think there's way too much nonsense being spouted, as you do, about, you know, they're being forced out of the house by something demonic. And everybody's weighing in, like, uh, I hope they sell it to this person, or I hope they don't sell it to that person. But, I mean, ultimately, you got to let it go. And... Um, I kind of equate it to every day we deal with this type of thing. You know, an amusement park closes or your favorite restaurant becomes a bank. And um, we're all disappointed in that. But I think eventually we look back on it nostalgically. You know, it's like, oh, you know, the restaurant now is a doctor's office. And <clears throat> my parents used to take me there. Or I had my first date there. But we just kind of move on from it. For whatever reason, we kind of get emotionally invested in these properties when it comes to the paranormal um, where we think that everybody's entitled to their opinion, don't get me wrong, but it's almost as though sometimes people take it as a personal affront when this place that we went to, maybe they had uh, a different board of directors coming in who don't want to emphasize the paranormal. I think we have to understand they have that right. If someone buys a house, they have that right to move on. This is a very unique situation with the Conjuring House because they want to write it into the agreement. But I think sometimes we shouldn't get so personally wounded when these places, you know, access changes, whether it's eliminated completely or there are conditions set. Um, that's just the way it is. I think that we got to work past that sometimes and just sort of move on. And well, it's fine to have an opinion as long as it doesn't get to the point where it becomes combative in a way. Just, just really quickly, you know, on the flip side of that, are we wrong to get upset about, you know, modern bedspreads and, and, and faux marble bathrooms in the Lizzie Borden house? Um, I don't personally think I'm upset about it because it doesn't affect my life in any way. I think that we just look at it and try to project 
what we would do in the same position as somebody like that. And again, it's the second reason of preservation that I mentioned. It's a business model. If I'm going in there, I don't necessarily maybe want to have a hot tub in the room. It'd be a great thing, but that's not how you're marketing. And people want that experience to go back in time. And, you know, you have some modern amenities, like you said, you know, air conditioning, Wi-Fi. It's fine. They're not intrusive. But I think people admire things like that. And it's one of the reasons people will stay at that place. You know, it, it definitely has an infamous history, but there's another reason for it. And again, it comes back to the ambiance in the place. So as far as being upset, uh, you know, I, I, I would let that go, but I certainly see how people would look at that and just go, it's kind of tasteless. And I have to be honest about it. I, I have seen the pictures and I don't disagree with, with people who have an issue with that. Well, I, I will say this. Uh, uh, we'll let you come back on uh, as we get closer to it and, and discuss more in depth. But just in, let's just take a couple of minutes and let people know about the 2021 Ocean State Paracon that's coming up November 19th and 20th. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Tim. Um, of course, last year, like so many other events, we had to cancel. And we've rescheduled this, I think, four times, and hopefully we're good now. But uh, 19th and 20th of November, uh, our annual Ocean State Paracon uh, charity event this year, it will benefit uh, Camp Braveheart, who is uh, it's an outdoor setting um, which offers uh, children and their families, I think between the ages of like 5 and 17, uh, you know, free grief bereavement counseling in an outdoor setting where they can uh, meet people who are going through the same thing, say, uh, share the same experience. Um, so we're very proud of that. But uh, yeah, the 19th and 20th, Friday night is our VIP party from seven to 10. The event itself will be from 10 to six on Saturday. We'll have special guests, uh, typically the way we usually do it. Um, a lot of different vendors, craft site, kind of like a psychic fair. We like to call it a paranormal farmer's market. Um, and we'll have some special guests, including your your very own Tim Weisberg, who has been a long-standing uh, attendee right from the very beginning. Uh, but this year is something a little bit different. We're going to be having it at the Plain Ridge Casino in Plainville, Massachusetts. And um, there's no description that I can give you that will do this place justice. When you show up and see the loft is the place that we're holding this event on Friday and Saturday. It speaks for itself. It's about 7,000 square feet. Wow. And uh, it is just an amazing place. One wall is fully glassed where that looks over the racetrack. And uh, it's just a phenomenal location. They've been very good to us. And I'm um, so glad that so far it looks like we're green greenlit on this thing. Um, but it's for a great cause. And, um, you know, your continued support. Uh, makes it possible to do this type of thing. Hey, Ken. How you doing, yeah, brother? What's up, man? Uh, I'm about to share something with you that's going to freak you out. Oh, cool. Go ahead. The Plain Ridge place is haunted. And is. you will not guess who it is haunted by. My uh, very own father. Now, is this... Oh, okay. You're talking about the existing building itself, Matt, right? Correct. 
My oh, father okay. my father worked for the racing commission back in the day and that's where he used to work. I just had a meeting with one of his former uh, co-workers who worked there for several years after my father died. He had personally seen him sitting in the office as well as several other people mm-hmm. who never knew him saw him sitting in the office and described into a T in the particular position he always used to sit in in his chair in the office. So this is pretty widely known then because that was my next question. It's like, is this widely known by the staff there? Yes. That's amazing. And and um, just before I get out of here, how long have you known this? When did it? I, I just I found this out last weekend. <laughs> I just found this out this past weekend. Oh, my. Yeah. Well, there's some serendipity there. <laughs> That's why I'm like, <laughs> you're kidding. He's like, no. This is, uh, I'll even give you the guy's name that told me, Paul Butner. Okay. And if you want, he's more than willing to talk to anybody else that, you know, in the paranormal community is. Yeah, I saw this and, you know, I don't, I'm not going to give other people's names that are there that have seen them, but without their permission. But Paul has no problem. Yeah. Well, well, when we have conversations with him, maybe I can work that in if he's available. Maybe just stop and say hello and yeah. let him know that uh, you've made me aware of that because, okay. There you go. <laughs> Mass dad, dad is there, so he'll also uh, hopefully be a special guest. And um, um, that's amazing, though, Matt, that, um, you know, there's that's still that kind of connection there. And of all places, very ironic, it's where we're going to hold this thing. I'll see you there. <laughs> okay. I look forward to it very much. Thanks, Ken, for checking in. We'll have you come back and talk a little bit more in depth about it as we get closer, too. Absolutely, man. You guys have a great night. Thank you. Take care. You too. That is Ken DaCosta of Rise Up Paranormal. If you want to get tickets for the Paracon, all you have to do is go to riseupparanormal.com. All the information is right there. Also, follow the Ocean State Paracon on Facebook. We're going to jump right into the calls because we've got some calls here lined up. Uh, So let's take those. Good evening. You're next on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Hi. How's it going? Um, in regard to the Lizzie Borden house, um, I, I agree with both you guys about um, maintaining the, I think um, when you put it perfect or whoever said it, um, the house was curated to look like um, the t- time and place, how generations had lived there and it was just, it was housing, but then it was curated to look like um, a certain time and place and what to, um, to replay events that happened there. And um, so I agree with you on all of that. If, if I had my way, I would keep it the way it has been. Um, on the other hand, I'm a, I'm an abstract artist and uh, contemporary, I do contemporary art and I'm, I'm, it's ingrained in me to kind of turn things upside down, live and let live and try something new and, you know, take your shot with all the American horror story kind of things and fun house things that are going on. But then on the third hand, it's like, um, I'm, I'm like literally looking, um, to make reservations because I've, I've had so many experiences myself and with my family that, I'd like other people to experience it too, but now there's like that moral moral dilemma. Is it wrong? Like Moniz was saying about the you know the mattresses in the basement essentially for whatever they're charging. Like, is there is there a moral issue now to even go there and want an experience or to have an experience? Is that almost disrespectful to whatever may be there? Right. I mean, and and I I do say like if you're not serving the history of the location, 
then what are you doing there? You know, like what what's the point of trying to 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 prove to the world that there are ghosts there or to bring people in to have a ghostly experience if that experience is not trying to tie back into the history as as perfectly as you possibly can. Right. All right well, I want thank you for for calling in and and for uh, for sharing. Absolutely. Take care. Have a great night. Thank Bye. you. And anyone else that wants to call in, 508-996-0500. That is the number to call in and share your thoughts. Phone lines will be open until the rest of the, until the program is over. So we got about, uh, about 25 minutes for you to call in and share. Uh, Moniz, I, I promised you yep. that I would tell you about what happened on the USS Salem. First of all, let me tell you this. Uh, I don't think, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the the fact that they've moved the ship across yeah, the harbor, I, yeah, that that I do know. So first first thing, haven't been there, but I do know they did move. First it. First thing I noticed it. as soon as I got there, it looks three times bigger than it was when it was on the other side. Really, it, it looks so much bigger, and it's already huge. So yeah, seven hundred and seventeen feet. feet. Yeah. So, but it just getting there, I was like, wow. I don't know if it's just that I haven't been here in like five or six years, but wow. Uh, and it could also be just you know where it is now. It's kind of jammed in less. Yeah, it's in a, a smaller bit. pier, which probably makes it look bigger. Well, and it's it, unlike in the old spot. Uh, this is what Don DeCristofaro was telling me last night. Unlike in the old spot, it had settled in. To the to the floor, yeah, yeah, and so it was like you know, kind of down below. And now it's floating again, so that probably helps too. You're seeing you know more of it wider and less of it's underwater. Uh, so that was it was very cool. Oh yeah, so you get to see basically what's known as the torpedo belt. Uh, sure, okay. I, I couldn't see much because it was dark. But okay, most cr heavy cruises and battleships have what's called a torpedo belt or girdle. It is a series of um, plate steel wrapped around it's it's armoring against torpedoes listen if a sea witch wants to show me her garter belt okay. i'm going to take a look at it okay all right i'm going to put that story on hold because the phone lines are lighting up let's go back to them good evening you're next on spooky south coast hello hello hi you're on the air all right well you can give us a call back 508-996-0500 good evening you're next on spooky south coast hi tim it's me mike hey mike how's it going it's going good, and I've been listening a lot to what you guys have been saying, and I cannot agree more with uh, how you guys are viewing the Lizzie Bourne bed and breakfast. I mean, just for me personally, I mean, a few weeks ago, I'm pretty sure I told you on Facebook, I went to the Peter Oliver house with my sister, my brother-in-law, and my girlfriend, and just that, like, walking through that door and feeling like you're in a different time era is, like... It's just so incredible where, I mean, the Lizzie Bourne house, I'm sure you still get that same vibe, but just going into a different room where it's slightly off-putting, you know, it sets you off somewhat. Right. And, and there, you know, every place has its, its atmosphere and has its feel. And maybe, maybe this isn't everybody's position on it, but it's certainly mine. The more I can feel like I would have, been in the time period of the ghosts I'm supposedly contacting, you know, that just, it, it works better for me. And I know based on my many years of research and investigation that it works better for the ghosts too. That if you start changing the location too much, then it's not the place that they recognize anymore and they don't feel the need to kind con you know, you might get some of that activity that heightens 
while the renovation's going on. But then once oh, yeah. it once it's not the place that they recognize yeah. anymore, they might go back into the woodwork. Yeah, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm renovating my house right now as it is, and what what my family, well, what I believe and my girlfriend believes is our house is pretty haunted. Like we've we've come to the conclusion we've heard like crazy things late at night, even during the day. It's sometimes like knocking walking up and down the stairs and we assume every because every time we renovate something even slightly in the house like even just changing the paint color on the wall the activity just spikes up like tremendously so we assume that more than likely the original owner of the house because he was very particular with how everything was in the house he was a craftsman so there was very like specific things like we assumed he wouldn't have wanted touched but then a lot of the other occurrences in the house, we assume it is a lot of it is family related. But with uh, going back to the Lizzie Bourne house, though, it's just, I mean, seeing how they handled it on Facebook was, I mean, I would say unprofessional, where it was just more of a input. Like, I, I, can't, I think you could agree. A lot of us didn't say anything bad necessarily. It was more just offering input. Like, it looks good, but not particularly something that, it's historically accurate, correct? Yeah, I mean, certainly if you, you know, if that, if you, first of all, if you're taking advice on redecorating for me, like you're already, yeah. you're already behind the eight ball. <laughs> you're already doing yourself a disservice. But, oh, you know, yeah. we're just making the point of there's a way to do it and a way to kind of still keep the tone. And instead what we were getting met with was, and not just from the owner, but from the other staff members that were there, everybody was trying to make it like we were making it a, an either-or situation, that the bathroom yeah. should have been left alone and left as is. And that's not the argument at all. You know, you could the house was painted years ago. And, oh, yeah. like, so we nobody ever stood there and said, hey, you shouldn't be painting the house. They just said, oh, you're going to paint the house to make it look even more historic. That's great. This is the way I look at it. It's like going to you know, King Richard's Fair and you're looking at all of the little shops and all of a sudden there's an, a modern McDonald's right there in the middle of the kiosk. Right. It's exactly. out of place. Well, I use that King Richard's Fair example to somebody that was like, oh, you know, modern convenience is important. I said, okay, well then why don't we why don't we pave the path at King Richard's Fair so that I don't keep stumbling over tree roots and, yeah. you know, getting my yeah. sneakers dirty. Like, you know, you want to have that authentic experience. Yeah, Absolutely. And that's why I mentioned the Peter Oliver house, too. It's like you go in there and, I mean, Christy was telling me a lot, too, with the door, the pictures that she, that were brought back to the house and everything. And while a lot of it was weird, a lot of it was very incredible how certain things that were initially gone from the house ended up coming back to the house. But still, it's that atmosphere when you walk in there, like you definitely don't feel like you're in 2021 you feel like you're in that time era and i feel like when you get that atmosphere added onto the like the whole tour the experience and everything it's just like an added bonus and I'm like, not gonna... I honestly, like i can personally say like if the oliver house ever has anything again i would definitely go back no, oh, well, they do. They have stuff all the time. But I would, I would never like tell somebody, hey, you know, you paid all this money to get that place. You have to do things a certain way. But I would oh, yeah. also say, you know, I would kind of ingrain myself to the local community and the people who are around and say, hey, what advice can you give? I mean, I'm not saying, 
I'm not saying I need to be the end-all, be-all of everything Lizzie Borden because we've been going there for so long. But at the same time, maybe, you know, you had said, is there anybody in this area that's familiar with historic restoration that we could lean on? And I would say, yes, contact Christy at the Oliver House because she has gone through all this, you know, and, and done it the right way. So, or I know people in, in Wareham that have worked on the Fearing Tavern that have been able to help follow all the historical codes to be able to bring it back to life more than it ever was before. So, you know, this is a very vibrant paranormal community in this area. I, I'll tell you this much. It doesn't seem like the, the, the management over there cares. It's no, like we're not the people they want to bring in. They want to bring in, you know, the TikTokers, the YouTubers, anybody that's going to start putting out hashtags and getting attention to it that more so than the people that have been going there again and again. And I don't know about you. I worked in the restaurant business for a long time. It was really nice when people came from out of town and came and tried out our food, but we really relied on the regulars to keep us open all the time. So I wouldn't really, you know, burn my regulars just to get those people that are going to come there once. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I do YouTube, too, on the side with my channel and my friend and I. And I can honestly say, like, you know, you can only go to a certain location so many times until it becomes overplayed on YouTube. You know, like, you can go, say, for me, or, like, one of the big places we went to, like, a lot of, like, it's come to the point now, like, where, like, all right, we can't keep going back there, right. is the Freetown State Forest. We usually get a lot within the forest, but... You know, how many times can you actually keep going there and doing the same thing? Uh, that's why it's been years since I've been to Lizzie Borden, just because yeah. there was it just it got to the point where I understand people wanted to come and go and be there with us. I just couldn't keep going there all the time because it, eventually I just kind of hit the wall of like, I don't know that I can keep coming back. here. I need a break from this place for a while. And it might just work out now that I never go there again. And if so, you know, I'm happy for the body of work I was able to do there and the experiences that I had. So absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much for the call. Thank you so much. Have a great night, you guys. You too. Have Take care. We have another call on the line, 508-996-0500. Good evening. You're next on Spooky South Coast. Hi. Um, what uh, Everybody seems to be saying what I had wanted to say, um, the previous callers, is that with the Lizzie Borden house, when Leanne Lu Luan, Luan. Luan owned it, I know she's passed, but it was an excellent place, you know, and it had the history and it had the, you know, and it was very nice, you know, and and like everybody has said, it was in that time period, you know, and, you know, it, it seems as though he's making, whoever owns it now is making a circus out of it, and what worries me most is if there is anything there, or whoever is there, will they give him problems because of what he's done to it? Well, I, every time you every time you redecorate a house and you tear the guts out of an old house, you you, you awaken things. I've, you know I've, what I mean? I've heard that brought up. I've heard people suggest that. You know, if the spirits aren't happy with what goes on there or in any location, you know they're gonna they're gonna kind of fight back in some way. I think in that particular location, if the spirits aren't happy with what goes on, and I'm not saying that's the case, but if that was to be the way that it would go on, I think what the spirits there would do was they would just stop interacting. Like that's that would be the way to to hurt a place that's making money off the off the spirits would be for the spirits to just decide never to give them anything ever again. To say, you know what, we're done here. Uh we're just gonna go 
either hang out in the background or move into the light or whatever the, phrase you want to use for it. But the paranormal fu type of right. That's yeah. I mean that's the only really recourse the spirits would have because I think if you if you tried to if you tried to amp up or even to attack then that's only going to make it more of an attractive place for people to want to go to. Uh, so I think, you know, the best way the spirits could say, we don't approve of what's going on here is to just kind of fade into the background. Not that I'm saying that they don't like what's going on. I'm just saying like that would be, that would be their best course of action if that was the case. Mm -hmm. what, what I also wonder about, and maybe you can elaborate on it, every, every ghost team on TV has been to the Conjuring House, the Lizzie Borden House. Uh, a few have been to Maplecroft, um, you know, various other locations. When, when do you think it's time that, or, 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 or feel that maybe the spirits there are just upset? They just want to be left alone. Because everybody and their brother has been there, you know, treading on their... Uh, I yeah, I see I see what you mean, and I think it's kind of the same thing, where if they do get upset and they are tired of people coming, uh, the best way to, to stop that from happening is to stop interacting. If a place goes dormant and doesn't have activity anymore, then people aren't going to keep coming back, and, and the word will get out pretty quickly. So if a place, you know, I, I'm not going to get into it, but there's a place that got a lot of attention years ago for being related to a famous haunt. Uh, you know, a famous uh, murder case and, and people would go there and they would pay money to investigate and people would come out of there saying, ah, you know what? There's, uh, I've never gotten anything there. And then they would talk to other people and those people would say, oh, I've never gotten anything there either. And, and it eventually just reached to the point where the general consensus among the community is even if it was haunted before, it's not now. So don't even bother going there anymore. And then that's just caused that you know, aspect of that property to dry up. So I, I think it's the same thing. If, if, if they get upset and they don't want people going there, if they're savvy enough to what's going on, then they say, you know what, I'm just going to stop interacting with people. That's the best way to get them to stop coming here. It's almost like they only, they know that they only keep coming back because you interact with them. So when you, when you don't, when you choose not to anymore, then they'll stop going. Like I, I don't ever want to go over somebody's house if they're just going to sit there and not acknowledge that I'm there. So then I'll stop going to their house. I, I agree. I agree. All right. Agree. Thank you so much uh, for the call. You. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Thank you. And 508-996-0500, if you would like to call in and share your thoughts. Uh, we have about 13 minutes left in the show, so plenty of time for anybody to call in if they want to do so. Uh, just really quickly, I'll get back to that story. So okay. You're the, in Salem. On yep. the USS Salem. And is one of the, you know, celebrity guest investigators for the night. The idea was that we would be positioned in certain places. Okay. And the folks that were attending would kind of cycle through. And it just so happened that the group that I got assigned to, the member of the Greater Boston Paranormal Associates, which is the group that runs the, the investigations on the ship now, the GBPA member took us and started walking all the way back to Third Mess, which if you're familiar, yeah, that's where we've had a lot of activity yeah. happen. So I was like, yeah, great. This is where I would have want to go if I, if I had had my choice. So we set up. I, I kind of sit down with my backpack that has all my equipment in it, and I'm watching everything that's going on. 
and I'm sitting in, they have those, you know, stools yeah. that are kind of built into the wall. And I'm sitting in one of those watching everything that's going on. And I'm listening to the GBPA members talk about what's, what, what, what they've gotten for activity and the spirits that they've encountered. And they're, they're talking about this, um, this cook that they refer to as the chief who they've had a lot of activity and experience with and interaction with. And so I am just kind of sitting there like a fly on the wall at this point, let it, cause they're, they're running some experiments and all of a sudden I just get hit with this wave of this is stupid. This is stupid. These people are idiots. You're all a bunch of idiots sitting here in the dark talking about a bunch of crap that doesn't really exist. This is stupid. And they were talking about some of the experiments that they've done. And I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, think about what you're saying. If you had any kind of rational, intelligent thought in your head, you would realize how stupid you sound right now. And this just kept building and building. And I was, I was feeling actual contempt for the people in the room. Some of these people are my good friends, but I'm feeling this level of contempt and anger toward them. Uh, and so then that's the first group that comes through. And then the second group that comes through, it's just more of the same thing, kind of amplifying. And, 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 and one, of the, one of the members of the GBPA is somebody I've known for a long time, and she's up there talking, and I'm like, shut up, shut up. You're a moron, shut up, in my head. But I'm like, wait, I, I know her. I like her. She's my friend. Like, why do I feel this way? And it just kept happening again and again. And finally... I reached the point where I said, stand up, grab your things, just walk off the ship. Don't talk to anybody. Just get up and leave. You're done with the paranormal. That's it. We're done. We fulfilled our obligation for this event. We'll just have to, you know, go home and break off all the engagements that we have coming up for different things. You're done. No more paranormal. This is stupid. It's a field full of dumb people doing dumb things and only dumb people believe in it. And, it's hurting us to think, to, to believe in it. Get up and leave. And I actually started to stand up and grab my bag. And then I just stopped myself and sat down and said, no, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't feel right. And then by the time the third group came through, it was like none of that stuff was happening anymore. I, I was investigating. We were doing, you know, Echovox and mm -hmm. Estes Method and all that stuff. And I was right back into it. And I started thinking about all the things that were going on that I felt that way about. And I realized, like, I don't feel that way about those things. These were foreign thoughts that were coming into my head. Being projected to you and or so that's, through you. And I talked with Jeff Campbell about it afterwards because he was on the ship and he was one of the people that was in that first group. And he was telling me, he's like, dude, like, you didn't even look like yourself. Like, I was sitting over there watching you and, like, you changed. You look different. And I'm not somebody that believes in, you know, channeling so much and, you know, at least not it just happening yeah, to I random people. And so like, for, and I've never felt like there could be that kind of an influence over somebody, you know, it's hard for me to really buy into some of that stuff. But the only thing I could think of is I was, I was so tired because of the week that I had had, and I'm not going to get into all that, but I had right. a very long week with very little sleep. And I think I was worn down to the point that any kind of natural barrier I might have to those thoughts slipping in might've been faded away a little bit and, 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 and chipped away and maybe there really was an, an outside thought that was working its way into my head because they, looking back on it, they definitely were not my thoughts. So it freaked me out and I was not sure I was going to tell anybody this publicly. I talked with Stephanie about it and a few other people, 
But then, you know, talking with Don last night on Midnight Society, who runs the investigations there, I, I talked with him about it. And so then I said, well, then I can discuss it on this on Spooky. But just never happened to me before, and I don't know that I ever want that feeling again. Stuff like that is not the first time it's been reported. I, I don't That's know what he about said. it. He said, more, he said people have reported that happening on the ship, so. Okay. But that does happen in other places and other things. People getting completely, we'll call them foreign thoughts, th thoughts not normally that they would have being impressed upon them and directed to them and through them. Um, I, I, I've heard of other people having, I can't say I personally have had it happen, but I've watched other people have it. You know, all of a sudden something's coming through them. And these aren't, like like you said, mediums and channelers and stuff. This is just Joe Q person who's just there. And all of a sudden, they're starting to spout this thing that's not from them. And they, they afterwards are like, where did that come from? That is not me. And, yep, and yeah. That's how I felt. And I don't want to have it happen again, that's for sure. Uh, let's, uh, let's take this phone call in the final few moments we have. Good evening. You're next on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Yeah, um, I just had a, a random thought from your last caller. Um, she was saying, "What if, uh, what if everybody essentially just left these um, entities alone in these famous uh, haunted houses?" And uh, you know, it's half a joke, half philosophical. If if a, a ghost screams in a haunted house and no one's there to hear it, does a ghost still scream? Yeah, right. And I I, I feel that way about paranormal activity that it has to have a human element to observe it for it to happen so you know even the people that say well how do you explain a security cam footage when nobody was there well but they knew by it being a recorded piece of footage somebody would go back and watch it so there there right. has to be an intentional observer for it for it to for it to happen that's that's what i always thought too well you also have this how many places have discovered to have paranormal activity yep. in, in other words the paranormal you know a house has been abandoned for many 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 years and people finally move in and all of a sudden this activity is happening how do you know the activity wasn't happening before they ever moved in for you know a decade prior but it might not have because there was nobody there to observe it and experience it well how do you know you don't it, it's it, there's no way to know well there's been a lot there's been a lot of people that have tried to come up with you know, different ways to measure the paranormal without the human element being around. But it always comes back to the idea of, yeah, but you're eventually going to get those readings. So there's still going to be that act of, of observation uh, happening. Okay, in Heisenberg. That's all I'm going to say to that. But there's a difference between physics and the paranormal, I think. Is there? I do. I think so. Oh, I, I don't. I don't think that the paranormal follows the laws of physics. And if it did, we would have been able to tie it together it, already. In some degrees, it does. I'm sorry, caller. I I just I, I agree with that too. I think uh, that it doesn't follow the same rules. Or um, my my ex girlfriend's mother um, was on her deathbed, and the last thing my girlfriend said to her was, um, "If there's an afterlife, give me a signal." And she never really did. And in my head, I was like, "So what if what if in the afterlife those rules don't apply, or or you follow a different set of rules, or you can't appear on command, or you know what I mean? It's, it's not just coming back when you want to say something. It's it's a different set of rules or not following the same physics that we do or something like that, you know? See, I, I, I think it's an emotional state. So mm -hmm. I think I think the person that that's experiencing it has to be in the right emotional state for it to happen. 
The, right. We we play just as much a part of 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 conducting the activity as uh, as anything else does. But, so how does the camera and the security? Uh, where there's nobody there watching it. And because it's being recorded for you to watch it later. All right. So that emotional state is it's, they're waiting for that state to happen later on? Yeah. It's it, the fact that that camera exists is the act of observation. Right. So that's all that it needs. It's the, well, and so okay. Say, so of, I go back to Heisenberg. Instead of emotion, I'll say <laughs> intention. I should say intention more so than, than emotion. Okay, but that's what's giving it the the reason to to manifest. And caller, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yep. yep. I say I hate to cut you off, but we're just up against the Absolutely. end of the program. So thanks a lot. Thank, thank you thank very you. much for the call. And yeah, this is this is too heavy of a topic for us to debate <laughs> with only about 120 <laughs> seconds left. Yeah. Uh, but we can certainly pick it up uh, sometime in the future. Uh, we will be back. So there'll be a show next week. So I was trying to think of what it was that I was gonna go to next week that kept me from being able to do the show and then i remembered it's because i was going to go see norm mcdonald and so yeah that's not going to happen anymore but i keep watching that steve huff youtube channel just to make sure he doesn't he doesn't try to contact norm i don't know why i feel like that's the bridge too far for me i mean granted i've been a bridge too far with huff for a long time but um yeah but that was going to be next week but i i think that was next so but that's not going to happen so and we'll be back I was going to say, I'm going to be out because I've got this, you know about the case I'm currently working on. It's very taxing. And then uh, we'll, we are going to have the Bridgewater Triangle show coming up next month. Uh, for just a little bit of an update. We have had a couple cases of West Nile virus here locally. So I've been just waiting for the temperature to drop a little bit more. Maybe we'll get a frost in, but at least maybe, you know, the mosquitoes will cut back a little bit or they'll do a little bit more spraying and have things under control before we send people out there outside uh, to spend hours investigating. I would hate for somebody to come down with something like that just because they were out there investigating for Spooky South Coast. But we will have it at some point next month. I'm thinking the second week, uh, second weekend of the month uh, on the 16th, I believe. So uh, we'll look into that. We'll let you know more about it as it's coming along. And on the 23rd, I'll be out doing an event at the Wayside Inn, uh, SpookySouthCoast.com. We do have some tickets that have come up available for that. It was sold out, but some folks don't want to come along. So uh, reach out to me, Tim, at SpookySouthCoast.com if you want to know more. And then also, uh, don't forget that we are coming up on not only the spooky season is upon us, but we're also coming up uh, in January. We're going to have our 16th anniversary. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, we can drive. Yeah. Starting next year. So that'll be happening as well. Maybe because things, depending on where things go, maybe we can actually have a party this year. But that'll do it for this week. Until next time, stay spooktacular.